Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, over the last month, um, we've been breaking down exactly what it looks like to fulfill the Maseo Day or the mission of God. And it's the heart and the mindset of this church that we wouldn't be dead set about doing our own thing or kind of fulfilling our own plans, but we strive as a community to do what Jesus wants us to do. I wish I could say that that is like a given for for anybody that would claim to be a Christian church, but uh, there are plenty of organizations, there are plenty of churches out there that have uh, different motivations and different motives than that of Jesus. And I want to be very clear, as we're striving to fulfill that Maseo Day, that mission of God, our heart as a congregation is to do exactly and only what Jesus is asking us to do. And so I I wrote this down, that the mission of Open Door Church is uh, synchronous with the mission of God. And that mission, that Maseo Day, is referring to God's intentional actions in redeeming mankind. I keep repeating it, and I'm going to do so unapologetically because we can't simply treat this as some kind of corporate catchphrase or a catchy mission statement that, you know, we use to establish our brand identity as Open Door Church. We're the trendy church on Instagram with cool snowboarder dudes. (laughs) That's not what we're trying to do here. And I don't want us to conflate the two. When we're talking about awakening, when we're talking about equipping and sending, these are the three aspects of the Maseo Day that we've adopted here at Open Door Church. That's what we've been teaching on. That's what I've been preaching on. We're talking about the literal heart of Father God. I want us to wrap our minds around that. I keep repeating that, and I'm going to try to keep drilling that into us because it's a heart that longs for his children to come and be a part of his family. It's not just something that we print on business cards or we put up on placards on a wall or something like that. So, you know, we know that we have a mission statement. It's bigger than that. And guys, you can listen to some of our teaching in detail on our podcast that Pastor Adam puts up every week. Um, But we've already covered the first two aspects of this mission in terms of awakening and equipping. But I want to just kind of give to you the the, the main points of those messages really quick as we move into the conclusion of this teaching and talking about the God that sends us on mission and that mission to be to send. But when we were talking about awakening, I wrote that our call to awaken is twofold. First, it's to awaken pre-believers to the abundant life available in Jesus Christ and him alone. And secondly, it is to awaken believers from the slumber of spiritual complacency to live with urgency, passion, and holiness in the midst of a compromising culture. And then last, not last week, we had a special guest last week, uh, Ben Loper. But before that, uh, I preached on equipping And I I wrote this, that our mission as it relates to this term equip is to see intentional discipleship transpire by way of supernatural empowerment and consistent practical application. 
And so obviously I flesh out those thoughts a lot more in those sermons, but just as a, as a framework of where we're going, this third aspect, the kind of final piece of the puzzle here, um, I believe that God also wants us as a congregation, as a church, to be a church that sins. And so what does it mean to be a sending church? Last time I preached upon this topic, and I'm almost hesitant to preach on it again, it seemed like we had a mass exodus of people leave for the mission field. Either they went to the Middle East, or they went to some kind of mission school, or they went to Portland, Oregon, which is basically the mission field. Uh, It is the mission field. And I was sitting here wrestling with God. I said, why did I have to put the term send in our mission statement? Why did I have to preach about that? Because now everybody got sent. And I'm sitting here thinking, maybe I should revise it to, let's be awaken, let's equip, and let's keep. Or let's awaken, let's, 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 let's equip, and then let's just stay a little while <laughs> and let God do a good thing. But something that we have to understand, uh, that God is a God on mission. And I believe what God is doing here in Open Door Church is good. I believe what he's doing in Pagosa Springs, here in this room, in many of your lives is good. And I believe the need for it to be reciprocated somewhere else is important for us to realize and stand behind. I'm not interested in just building up a big church for the sake of building up a big church. I'm interested in God doing a mighty work with as many people as he would bring through these doors, not so we can hold on to them, but so we can send them forth to wherever God might call them, that they may bring transformation in communities that we may never step into. Does that make sense? And so... uh, I say this, I think too many churches and too many Christians, for that matter, are spiritually clogged. They're congested, if you will, because there's a great influx of good things coming in. We even have Christians, God, Lord, fill me with more of your spirit. But unless there's an outlet for that, I don't see it as effective and I don't see it as fruitful. I don't want that to be the case for our church. I want to hold on lightly to what God's doing here because I understand some of you may be here for the long haul. Darwin and Lisa, you guys have been here for a while now, and I hope that you're here for a while yet. Some of you guys may only be here for a short season, but I want your season here to be impactful enough that wherever you go next, that you're marked and branded by what God did in a short period of time here in our fellowship, and in our church. And I believe that God wants to do mighty works. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to talk a little bit about missionaries this morning. And so if you want to turn with me to Acts 13, uh, verses 1 through 3, this is where I initially got this language and this idea of putting the, the term sinned into our mission statement as it relates to the mission of God. And it's actually where we see Paul, the apostle, formerly Saul of Tarsus, uh, they, they were the same guy, um, that got launched onto the mission field. 
and uh, is the reason that most of us probably know Jesus now. God used him mightily to reach the Gentiles. Wrote a good portion of the New Testament. But we see here uh, some, some characteristics of the church that sent them. In Acts 13, verses 1, it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manain, something like that, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, and they sent them off. So something, just some quick notes here about this. The church was ministering to the Lord. If you look at that word ministering there, some of your translations might even do this for you. But what we really see uh, happening there, they were worshiping the Lord. They were praying to the Lord. They were serving the Lord. And then I love the fact that they amend that. Not only were they doing that, but they were also fasting. This is a church that was pursuing the will of God for their congregation. And inevitably, by way of that, the rest of the world. <laughs> and they hear the Holy Spirit speak to them. So we see here, it wasn't the church's idea to send them as missionaries. It was God's idea. They simply listened. And this is something that I believe is important for you and I to understand, is that it's not us who determine who's going as a missionary or anything like that, but it's for us to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what he's speaking that we recognize it when he does speak, and we affirm that call to those that are going. And so I love this. They hear the Holy Spirit speak, set apart from me, Paul and Barnabas, and what do they do after that? They fast and pray some more. <laughs> I love that about the early church was they consistently were in prayer and they didn't stop praying just because they got an answer. <laughs> just because they heard what they were supposed to do, they continued on in prayer and then they laid hands on them. They sent them off. This last week, friends, uh, I thought it was so fitting that right in the midst of us talking about sending, right in the midst of us talking about the mission of God, we had Ben Loper and his family, Ben and Carly, they're actually staying downstairs right now here at the church. They're preaching in Durango for our good friend Darby this morning and helping lead worship over there. They're getting ready to go to French Polynesia as missionaries, their whole family. They've been raising support and they're, they're, they're gearing up to make this major life change and transition. They're one of the missionaries that we support here as Open Door Church on monthly support. Um, but what you guys don't know is that Ben was saved in this church. He encountered Jesus for the first time as a result of this ministry when he was in seventh grade. And it's awesome and God has done such a marvelous work throughout the years. And we get to play even just a small part in that story of being part of the church that is sending him to bring the gospel to a place where Jesus is currently not known. That's really awesome. That's really cool. Last time I preached this message, we had uh, a young lady, and because I, I want to put this up on the internet in our podcast, I'm not going to name a bunch of names here or anything like that, uh, but we have young people 
that uh, as a result of God ministering and doing things in their life, even while they were a part of this congregation that are on the mission field right now, passionately serving the Lord, missionaries that we currently support here from Open Door Church. And it's an exciting honor to be a part of that. And so I can't name all of the missionaries we support uh, because some of them work in hostile regions and those things, and I, I kind of already mentioned that, but I thought it would be helpful because some of you are relatively new to our church, relatively new to how we support missionaries, um, and you might hear one speak when they come in. I just wanted to kind of give you a framework of some of the missionaries that we support. Uh, we make a monthly commitment to help them meet their goals. We rely upon your guys' generosity. When you give to missions, you mark that on the envelope when you give, or if you're giving online, we have something called AGWM, which is Assemblies of God World Missions. When you make donations to those, uh, when, when you designate that something's for mission, it helps us actually put money into the hands of these missionaries. And so I mentioned some of those there, but some of the ones that I can mention where they're not, uh, where it's not illegal to be a Christian, is Mason Turner is one of uh, the newest missionaries that we've started supporting. Uh, he does work in Mesat, Thailand. He works along the border of Miramar, working with refugees from Burma um, and displaced kids that don't have a home. Uh, and he has been uh, there for a little over 10 years. If you guys hear me ever tell my testimony about the drug dealer that was selling drugs to my mom and is the way that I met Jesus, his little brother is Mason. And that is the missionary in Thailand who we're great friends with. And so if that was just like, what? Uh, <laughs> and you haven't heard that story, I'd love to take you out to coffee and catch you up on that. A good friend of mine, Forrest Rao, is a missionary uh, with the Assemblies of God to Colorado and Utah, specifically to the American teenager. Uh, which is uh, interesting. He, he actually is a part of Youth Alive, and he works on connecting churches with high school and middle school campuses. Does an awesome work. Uh, we have our other friends, Ashley and Peter. Uh, happens to be uh, Shelby's sister, um, and they work with Chi Alpha. Similar, uh, but they do, uh, they do ministry on college campuses. And then there's a number of other missionaries that are, we support, we have some that are working in Iran and Pakistan, and uh, God's just doing awesome work across the globe. And I want you to recognize this, because many of us will probably never step foot in Iran. You know, we might not ever go there. I, I, I hope and pray that some of us will, but the likelihood of the majority of us going and, you know, planting a church and doing work there, us physically, is, is not the greatest. But guess what? We get to be a part of what God is doing when we're praying for our missionaries, when we're supporting them financially, when we're involved uh, in this aspect of sending them, and we're making a difference in the kingdom as a result. And so I just want to encourage you with that. And I, I believe this, a church that prioritizes sending missionaries by supporting them in prayer, by giving to them financial, by giving to them financially, prioritizes missions. Um, I butchered that statement. I even wrote it down. Uh, and I can't read it, evidently. But I believe that a church that prioritizes missions prioritizes the gospel. And I, I think that's a big deal. I don't want us to... 
I don't ever want us to get so focused on what God is just doing here in this room that we forget that he's called us to make an impact outside these walls as well. Does that make sense? I I hope you catch my heart with that. And so while I talk about that aspect of sending, obviously there's the aspect of sending missionaries. Today, where I really felt my heart stirred and I actually began to feel it stir in this vein uh, with this particular passage of scripture, while we were up at Men's Retreat, and I mentioned it, so some of you guys that were there are gonna recognize this story and this passage of scripture that we're gonna jump into in the morning. But I need you to know this, not everyone of you is going to be called to be a missionary overseas. You're not going to uh, probably get on a ship and sail across the world and just preach the gospel. I realize that not everybody here is. I would love for there to be an uncommon amount of you that are called into the mission field that would send and give your lives uh, for the gospel. I think that that would be one of the highest honors that we could ever have as a congregation, as a church, to know that missionaries are being sent forth from this congregation that are making, uh, making a powerful change. But I don't want you to underestimate the work of God in your life just because you may never travel across the world to preach the gospel as a career missionary. I want us to come back to the core scripture that we've been basing this entire teaching of what the mission of God is off of, and that is John 20, verse 21. This is one of those kind of core scriptures that God has not uh, let me forget about in the last uh, number of years. But this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and I believe this is a command, and this is something that he's still speaking to every follower and every disciple of Jesus today. He says that he says to them, Peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And then he goes on and he breathes on them and, and commands them to receive the Holy Spirit. And I want you to understand that in the same manner that Jesus came, in the same manner that the Father sent the Son into the world, Jesus is sending his followers and his disciples into a culture and into a world that desperately needs the same message that desperately needs the same encounter that Jesus brought when he first came and stepped foot on this earth. Does that make sense? I need you to grasp this because you have to live your life on purpose. You have to live your life on mission. No one will make disciples. No one is going to carry the kingdom of God into a a dark and godless society by accident. It's going to happen when you're intentional and you're understanding that you are actually on a mission from Jesus Christ himself to accomplish something that he's asked and equipped you to do. It sounds like they're having fun downstairs. (laughs) That is like terrifying. (laughs) <laughs> somebody, somebody check on my wife, please. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome, guys. I love the sound of kids having fun in church. Praise God. Guys, every follower of Jesus has been sent forth 
with a purpose. And that is the same purpose that Jesus initially came with, to seek and save the lost, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God and offer hope and redemption to humanity. And so like I said, I've been kind of stirred in this passage for a number of days now, and it's in Mark chapter 5. If you guys want to turn with me there, we're going to be in Mark 5, verses 1 through 20 this morning. And uh, I, I don't know what it is about this particular passage of Scripture, but I continually come back to it. And if I were to actually calculate how many times I've preached on this very passage of Scripture here on a Sunday morning, uh, I would reckon, and this is an estimate here, but I, I probably have preached it 10 times on a Sunday morning in my time here, at least. And, and that, that would equate to at least like once a year, I keep coming back to this passage of scripture. And it's not because I've run out of sermon ideas. It's not just because I was like, I don't know what I'm going to preach today. Let's just go back to this one. I'm going to pull it out. Continually, God begins to stir this passage of scripture upon my heart. And so I'm going to read these first 20 verses. If you guys would follow along with me, don't disengage here. This is something that I believe God, regardless of who you are and how long you've been following Jesus, if you're brand new or if you've been doing it for years, God has something to speak to you from his word today. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him, him being Jesus, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him and cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. If you read in actually the Gospel of Luke, it says that they begged him not to send him into the abyss. In verse 11, it picks up. It says, now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And at once, Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed, and he had the legion, uh, sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. All those who saw it told them how it happened to him and who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis 
all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. Guys, very quickly here, I, I, wanna, I just want to jump into this. There was absolutely no hope for this man. I want you to guys to wrap your mind around this picture here. This dude was naked. They kept binding him with chains and sending him outside of the city. If you want like the epitome of an outcast, it was this guy. Society, the, the city, they had no idea what to do with this guy anymore. They kept trying to bind him in shackles and chains so he wouldn't hurt people or hurt himself. And then they eventually just kind of let him run wild in the graves, like outside the city cemetery, right? Up in the mountains where he's howling day and night, cutting himself with rocks and stones. Like, guys, I, I, we've had our fair share of like crazy people uh, here in our community that we've seen. This guy is like next level, is he not? When we read about the description that scripture gives us here. And I want you to know this. There was absolutely no hope for this man. It was a hopeless and bleak situation. We understand, because I've already read the story, it doesn't stay that way because of Jesus. But if we look here, uh, we read in Mark 5, in verse 8, it says, he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. And so we know that actually he said that first. And in response to that, we read verse 7. So I'm reading a little bit out of context here. It says that he cries out with a loud voice, what have I to do with you, Jesus, the son of the most high God? I think that's interesting that that's the language that the demon uses when he's responding to Jesus. And I believe this is an attempt from the demonic, an attempt from demons here to resist the power and the authority of Jesus. And so when I was reading a commentary on this, this is something that I discovered, is that I, um, it was the superstition of the day, if you will, that if you knew the exact full name of an enemy, that you could exercise dominion over them. And so this is not the demons worshiping Jesus like this. This is them trying to, uh, I believe, set the stage and set the platform saying, we have an upper hand over you. And I believe it's their feeble attempt at trying to resist the authority of Jesus. This is what Lane would say about that. That the full address is not a confession of Jesus' dignity, but a desperate attempt to gain control over him or to render him harmless in accordance with the common assumption of the period that the use of the precise name of an adversary gave one mastery over him. All of this is to say, and this is something that I want to remind you of, is that demons probably have better theology than you. I, I realize that sounds like a crazy statement to make. Demons know a lot about God. <laughs> I, I want you to look at this. These demons recognize Jesus as the Messiah before the righteous Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day that knew every prophecy, knew every jot and tittle of the law. They were the ones that failed to recognize Jesus as the Son of God, but demons easily recognize Jesus as the Son of God. It's this whole idea of James 2.19, Right? This is, what, this is what James would say. He says, you believe there is one God. You do well. That's good. Do you want a round of applause? Here's a gold sticker for you believing in God. Yeah, woohoo! high five. 
And then he, then he comes in with the burn at the end of that. He says, even the demons believe that, and they tremble at that fact. It's this idea of having good theology is not equated with knowing God intimately. I need you to understand this. You can know everything there is to know about the Bible and about God and have perfect doctrine and theology and still miss out on relationship with him. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's an excuse to say, oh, you know what, I have good relationship with God, my doctrine doesn't matter, and I don't need to know jack diddly about the Bible or something like that. That's not what I'm saying here, is I'm just saying head knowledge does not equate to heart knowledge. And it's important that we have both. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me here? Cool. But we see this kind of feeble attempt of the demons, I, I believe here, trying to usurp authority over Jesus and trying to disarm him. But we go on in verse 9, and it says that Jesus asks him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. They didn't respond with an individual name or uh, an identity there, but they had this unified response of, for we are Legion, we are many. And I think this is interesting because Jesus didn't need to know the exact name. He wasn't playing the same games that these demons were. I believe what he was demonstrating here is his authority and power over the demonic. He's dispelling the superstition that power and authority over the demonic come from some kind of secret knowledge. And in fact, I still think there's kind of some weird stuff in terms of deliverance ministries today where there has to be some kind of like secret insight or secret knowledge to unlock demons and these, it just gets weird. Um, I think Jesus very clearly demonstrates here that the authority comes from him and him alone to see demonic principalities and power broken in people's life. So they didn't give their exact name, but they did try to intimidate by their number. It says, we're legion, we're many. I've always preached this because I don't know if it's just something that I heard or if it was like information that I picked up a while, but that a legion, like a Roman legion, was like 2,000 people. And I think I equated that with the 2,000 pigs that just run off the, the countryside. I actually was doing research on this. I do do that sometimes when I'm preaching. Uh, I like to study the scriptures. Uh, actually, a Roman legion was closer to 6,000 people. And so I always talk about this guy being possessed by 2,000 demons, and now I have to go repent because it's probably more like he was possessed by 6,000 demons. It's like the infomotion guy, but wait, there's more. Like, <laughs> you thought this guy had it bad. Actually, he had it way worse. <laughs> um, no, uh, and whether it was 2,000 demons, 6,000 demons, maybe it was just one demon. Who cares? He was messed up, right? <laughs> Things were bad for this guy. He's running wild. He's naked. He's cutting himself. He's completely isolated from society. It's a, it's a completely inhumane picture. There's no dignity left for this guy. And I love the fact that the enemy's intimidation tactics didn't work here. This is something that each and every one of you need to hear right now. There is no degree of darkness that intimidates our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what you've walked through. I don't care what you're currently struggling with. There is nothing that's too big of a mess. There's no life that is too broken. There's nothing that's too far upside down that God's intimidated by it. There's no amount of demonic activity or principalities that is somehow, is somehow intimidating to the God that literally spoke creation into existence. And I think a lot of the times we can write off, well, God, can just, God can't do all of this. And we even come before him in prayer and ask, ask like weak prayers. Like, God, would you just like maybe do this little thing? I don't need you to do this big thing that would be really awesome if you did, but maybe just this little thing. And we act like maybe it's like a big deal for him. I just, I, want you to, I just want you to wrap your mind around this. There is no degree of darkness that is intimidating to Jesus. He has the power to set you free. In Colossians 2, this is what Paul would write in 13 through 15. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And this is what I love. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities. This is talking about demonic principalities. This is talking about demons here. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. That's pretty cool. But if we go back, we look at the story again. Right? Demons get cast into pigs. The pigs run off the hillside and they all drown. I think that's a fitting example of what they wanted to do because we understand that the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And we see that actually happen when they're in the swine, when they're in the pigs. The people that are tending the pigs are like, oh, crap, I just lost my job, right? <laughs> I have no more pigs to feed. My boss is going to be really mad at me. And they run back into the town and tell exactly what had happened. And everybody comes running out to the scene. And what do they find? They find this guy that they were so terrified of that they were wrapping him up in chains and sending him outside of the city to let him live in caves near the tombstones and the graveyard and just they didn't know what to do with him. They just send him off. And what do they find? They find him fully clothed, sitting in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. And it says that the response was that they were afraid. They were more afraid of this guy finding freedom and healing at the feet of Jesus than they ever were of him running around naked, yelling, cutting himself with stones, possessed by 6,000 demons. How backwards is that? Is that not a fitting picture of our society today? They begged Jesus to leave. It's crazy. It's mind-boggling to me. You see, these guys were afraid of a demon-possessed man, not when he was possessed by demons, but rather when he found his freedom. They were afraid of Jesus and what he could do. And because if they did something in this guy... 
They knew that there was no excuse why Jesus couldn't do something for them. And this is, this is kind of the, the reality that I'm encountering here, and I've encountered over and over and over and over again, is that people are far more comfortable with being bound than they are with being free. And when people start getting free of the things that held them and bound them, especially when it comes to addictions, all of a sudden, everybody around them gets uncomfortable because they lose their excuses on why they're still living, on why they're still living in a cage. And I see what happened here with these townspeople. You know, we know that they're living in compromise. These were Hellenistic Jews living in the Decapolis. So some of them, uh, some of these guys were Jews, this region here of the Gadarenes, right? We see them tending pigs, which not kosher, if you didn't know that, uh, right? And so we, we see these people. And at this point in time, Jesus is still, prime, is still ministering to the Jewish people, and so it's not like he was just going over there trying to preach to the Gentiles. There were Gentiles there, but he was going after the house of Israel. And so we see here him ministering, uh, ministering to Hellenistic Jews, but that's, they're still Jews, right? That are obviously not following, uh, are not following the Torah. They've obviously kind of stepped away from, from those things. And so this is happening. This is encountering there. And, uh, I see what happens is Jesus does a mighty work in this guy's life. All of a sudden, it takes away the excuse for any of them to live in compromise, for any of them to continue living bound. And rather than saying, Jesus, do what you did for him in my life, they beg him to leave because all of a sudden things are uncomfortable. And so I see these two requests here with two equally shocking answers, right? We, I've already read in verse 17 that they began to plead with him to depart from their region. The shocking answer to Jesus that Jesus gives there is that he's like, okay, peace out. I'm leaving. He leaves. Spoiler alert. He doesn't stay someplace where he's uninvited, where he's not welcomed, and he leaves. <laughs> but when he gets into the boat, notice this in verse 18. The demon-possessed man begs him, right? The community's begging him to leave, but the demon-possessed man that just encountered Jesus is begging to go with Jesus. Jesus says, no. What the heck, Jesus? <laughs> like, <laughs> don't you understand how this works? Like, he was just possessed by demons. He's got a long road to recovery here. Like somebody needs to hold his hand. And if there was a guy that needed like intentional one-on-one -on -one discipleship, it's the guy that's possessed by 6,000 demons. That was previously, just a few minutes ago, naked and cutting himself with stones. Like this guy, we need to vet him. But Jeevus, oh my gosh. Sound bites for days out of this sermon. Uh, <laughs> Jesus here is so confident in the power of his one encounter with this man and what the Holy Spirit can do, that he's not questioning whether or not this is going to stick, whether or not this is going to last. I wonder if in, this, in the mind of this guy, if he's thinking, I I'm finally well, I'm finally whole, I've got to stay with Jesus or these demons are going to come back. I've got to go with you, Jesus. Jesus is confident in the power of what he just did in this life, that he sends him out as the first evangelist. 
that we have record of in scripture. And he gives them this command. Go home to your friends. Some, of, uh, some translations will say, go to your family and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. He goes back into the Decapolis and begins to tell about all that Jesus had done and everyone was amazed because they could not deny the evidence of a changed life. Hear me, friend. When you begin to open your mouth about what Jesus has done in your life and they can look at you as an example and say, that is not the same person that I knew before. There is nothing they can do to deny the existence of God and the fact that he's good and the fact that he cares. That was my testimony. That was my example. I went from worshiping the devil, quite literally, practicing the occult, summoning demons, sacrificing goats, these terrible things. And anyway, literally encountering Jesus, showing back up to the same high school, completely transformed. And it gave me a powerful witness because everybody could attest to the fact that I was entirely different than who I used to be. And when that happens, friends, when your life actually matches up to what you say you believe, you have an effective witness that will transform entire communities. This is the kind of sending that I want to be represented of Open Door Church, of people that come in, they're awakened, they're equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit, their lives are completely transformed, and they go out and they begin to open their mouth about all that God had did for them. And it brings transformation to a community. I think about Darwin when he was sharing just at men's retreat. He shared his testimony and it was powerful and it was awesome about a life that was just kind of wrecked and depressed and overrun with drugs. And he encounters the Holy Spirit in a hot spring because his wife is way better than him. <laughs> a little wiser. How many of you guys have had your wives <laughs> uh, be used of God to knock some sense into you? Amen. Um, <laughs> but he talks about the Holy Spirit, and it wasn't just an instantaneous thing, but there did come a point in his story where he did give up the drugs. I remember you telling me how you had a, these boxes of expensive drugs, and you went and burned them all, right? <laughs> because the Holy Spirit prompted you. And from that moment on, there was, God had done such a work in your life. Anybody that you encountered with uh, that maybe had struggled with smoking dope or all these different things or drinking, you're saying, I don't need it anymore because look at what God did in my life. And they knew you before and they could see you then and they could not deny the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. And that's awesome. And I want those kind of stories to begin to generate from our community and in, this, and in this room even. Because I believe in the powerful, transformative work of the Holy Spirit. These people here, though, were more afraid of the Holy Spirit at work than they were of demons keeping people bound. And our culture is the same way because they don't want to come to terms with a God that would do anything for them. They would rather live in ignorance because they don't want to have anything given up that would cost them something. But I'm thankful for a God that doesn't let us stay there. 
I want to end with this, guys. I'm jumping back to verse 15. When it says they came to Jesus, they saw the one who had been demon-possessed sitting there clothed in his right mind. And three other times throughout this passage of Scripture, it says, names this man as the one who had been demon-possessed. Has anybody here been watching The Chosen? It's like a, it's like a TV show online. Uh, it's not online. I, I guess it is online about Jesus. And they've done a really good job. I know there's, somebody's mad about it somewhere in controversy because it's not like a perfect Bible. Guess what? It's hard to translate books into movies and television and whatnot. Whatever. I think they're doing a pretty good job. And uh, my wife and I like it. So if you need that as your stamp of approval, go for it. If you want to write me an angry email because I like The Chosen, let me, I'll talk to you too. But uh, whatever. <laughs> The last episode that we watched was really awesome and really encouraging and really powerful. Jesus heals this woman with the issue of blood. If you're familiar with that story from the Gospels, and this woman had been bleeding for 12 years, and she comes up and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment, right? And uh, she's healed. And uh, it's this powerful thing, but according to Jewish customs in that time, uh, you can't touch someone that's bleeding or you're like ceremonially unclean, then you have to go cleanse yourself and all this stuff. And at the end of this episode, the Pharisees come up to Jesus and say, you need to wash yourself. You need to go and uh, make sure that you're clean because you touched a woman who was bleeding and these things. And he's like, yeah, exactly. She was bleeding and now she's not. <laughs> Basically, right? Uh, I love the way that, the, uh, that it was a little snarky there. I, I kind of picture Jesus to be a little snarky sometimes. I don't know. Uh, I, he, he definitely was. You read some of his responses to the Pharisees, he, he totally is. So whatever. But it, it makes me think about these people in the scriptures that we, that we talk about all the time. We talk about blind Bartimaeus, right? Who, who was the guy that Jesus healed who was blind. Guess what? He should be the guy that was previously known as blind Bartimaeus, right? We talk about the woman with the issue of blood. She still doesn't have an issue with blood, right? She's still not bleeding. So previously known, right? Uh, we, we talk about doubting Thomas, right? How mad would you be if you were Thomas and you know you've been following Jesus for three years and you have this one moment of doubt, but it goes down throughout all of history and now you get the nickname doubting Thomas. Guess what? He's not still doubting. He stuck his hands in Jesus' hands and in his side. He stopped doubting at that moment, I truly believe. But yet he gets stuck with this name. But I love this guy because they show up, and even the, the way that Scripture accounts it, labels him as the one who had been possessed by demons. If I was that dude, I'd be putting that on my business card, you know? Just going everywhere, passing it out throughout the Decapolis. Dude, I had 6,000 demons in me. Guess what? I don't anymore because God is good. And this is something I want us to grasp and I want us to understand. God can deliver you from your past. He can deliver you from whatever you're walking through right now, but that can still be an integral part of your identity. Not in the sense that it, it defines you, not in the sense that, that, that you're held captive by it, but you can celebrate what God has delivered you from. You do not need to be ashamed because it serves as a testimony of how good God actually actually is. I know for me, I'm not ashamed one iota that I used to be involved in the occult. You know, I, I, I'm not 
That's not a, I'm not like getting beat up by it at night. You know, it's like, Nate, you just were really dumb and all these terrible things. I am overjoyed at what God has brought me out of and what God has done. But the important thing here is that people hear what he's brought you out of. He is sending you, and I believe this, friends. I believe that there is still power that Jesus has to free people from demonic oppression, 100%. I realize that not everything this morning is demons. I don't know everybody's story here. I'm not here to say that everything you've walked to is demons today. That's not who I am. That's not what I'm all about, but some of you probably. (laughs) Let's be real. I still believe in and uh, yeah, you're like, oh, Pastor Nate's crazy. No, I, I believe in demons. I've seen them. I've seen them cast out too. So we still believe in that. We still believe in the Bible. <laughs> we still believe in Jesus doing what he initially did. But at the same time, I believe in addiction. I believe in, I, I believe in, in the bondage that we see so many people wrapped up in. And I just want to tell you there's freedom in Jesus today. There's freedom found only in him because he nailed our trespasses to the cross. There is victory in him and him alone. And I just, I I, want to end with this. If you're struggling with continually, um, I don't know if it's addiction, if it's just something that is, marked your life and you're continually maybe on this road of on again, off again with the Lord, I want to encourage you, today can be different. Because I look at this guy here in Scripture, and I think he just set as an example, as, as a precedent for us. Jesus just wanted to show off because he didn't want anyone to live without excuse. It is, I, 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 I would, uh, I say with certainty this morning, I don't think any of you are messed up as this guy was. I don't think any of you have 6,000 demons. 2,000 maybe. 6,000, nah. Not here. Somewhere else maybe, but not in this room. I don't know how messed up or how broken things are for you right now. It's not intimidating to Jesus. It's not. And he wants to, and he, I believe, one encounter. This wasn't even a long encounter. Jesus said like six words to him, right? And he's found clothes sitting in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. One encounter with the authentic Jesus, not the one that you see on TBN, not the one that maybe was peddled by your grandparents. I'm talking about the real God of all the universe, the very word of God, the Jesus that is compassionate and kind. One encounter with him can change everything. That's my prayer. I'm praying for those kind of encounters for us in this room, but also for those in this community. And if God wills it across this globe because of what he's simply doing here. I want to pray for us as we dismiss this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.